Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Hello and welcome to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Coming up, California Governor Gavin Newsom is in China with climate change topping his agenda. Australia's Prime Minister is to visit China with progress on wine trade. Second aid convoy has entered Gaza as Israel intensifies bombardments, and far-right populist Javier Milei fails to win the first rounds of Argentina's presidential election. So, if you want to listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, download our podcast by searching "World Today." California Governor Gavin Newsom has embarked on a week-long visit to China. Newsom's tour begins with a conversation in Hong Kong before he continues on to Beijing, Shanghai, and the provinces of Guangdong and Jiangsu. He will tour an offshore wind facility, visit a visit an all-electric bus fleet, and see a wetlands preserve. He will sign agreements with Chinese provincial leaders to set mutual commitments in terms of a number of climate-related goals. His agenda also includes conversations on strengthening cultural ties and combating xenophobia. Last week, Chinese Foreign Ministry said that China welcomes Gavin Newsom and looks forward to his tour achieving positive outcomes. So, joining us now on the line is Liu Zhiqing, senior fellow with the Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies, Renmin University of China. Thank you very much for joining us. Hello, thank you. So. Um, governors of California have a long history of seeking climate、uh, collaboration and cooperation with the Chinese, because both、uh, Jerry Brown and Arnold、uh, Schwarzenegger, one Democrat and one Republican,、um, both of these previous、uh, governors have traveled to China to swap knowledge in terms of, say, dealing with、uh, climate change. Uh, when they were serving on their positions of California governors, for sure. So, with regard to the current governor Gavin Newsom, what do you think he is looking to achieve through this particular trip on climate issues? I should say that、uh, the governor of the, Mr. Newsom has a really very good and a great courage that to visit China. That shows that he is、uh, uh, efforts that to know more. Uh, about China to build up a new mutual understanding with the Chinese provincial levels and authorities, and also in the sake and also in the interest of the California people, the environmental protection, especially in the climate change. As we know that he is willing to visit some provinces. From what destination he has selected, we can see. His main points are quite right, very important because he, his uh, uh, future visit in China are very important, the provincial and the industrial basis in China, especially in the climate change and the climate technologies and the manufacturing. So this is the right, right decision, and his visit to China is at the right decision with the right time. And we hope that he will receive very fruitful achievements after his visit.、Mm. Now, of course,、uh, his、uh, trip this time is really coming amid、uh, geopolitical tensions between、uh, Beijing and Washington over a range of issues.、Uh, according to Newsom's senior climate advisor, the Newsom administration has been in close、uh, contact with the White House ahead of the governor's trip. So, do you think、um, California or the Californian government, a state government, is able to push the U.S. federal government in the direction of more dialogue with China, at least on 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 issues related to climate change? Yeah, definitely. I, I should say that not only the, from the provincial levels, the authorities are willing to visit China, as I know that.、Uh, The president of White House, Mr. Biden, is also willing to meet his counterpart.、Kind of、so I should say that this is、mm-hmm. a new decision because this is already 
a decision and decided by two presidents from China and the United States in early time that uh, the both should uh, uh, both countries should promote uh, exchanges of different levels in order to get a better understanding and uh, especially on focused on the main points that for both are concerned, for instance, climate change and other environmental protection and, and, and other points. So I think this is in line with this state principle and state plan, the roadmap that is set out by both presidents. Mm. But in the meantime, some Republicans, some Republican politicians in California are saying that Newsom shouldn't really be visiting China at a time of tensions over international conflicts. Instead, they say Gavin Newsom should be focusing on problems at home, like poverty and a crime. What is your take on this? <laughs> I should say that's quite interesting, very funny to to see what the Republicans in California uh, say these uh, ideas. Because uh, in my opinion, his purpose to come to visit exactly to learn the Chinese experiences in dealing with uh, poverty reduction. Because uh, China is the only country or the best country that in the world that we have solved and find the solutions and the way how to reduce Poverty. The poverty problem and the crime is also in the United States are so serious that damage the people's daily life. But China has already solved in this way in a very proper way by law and by all the efforts of the whole population. So this visit is quite right, even according to the claim of the Republicans. All this visit should kind of should be focused on this point, what they are interested in. But actually, besides this poverty reduction in California, but the climate change even becoming more serious because California has set up its goal that to have the, uh, uh, the cover nutrition by a short time. They should learn something from China in order to fulfill their commitment and a promise to the public. Mm. So, by the way, uh, Mr. Liu, uh, in your observation, do you think Gavin Newsom's trip this time to China has anything to do with his previous experience, his previous background as the city mayor of San Francisco, where there is a huge population of Chinese Americans? Sure, uh, I'm sure. Because as I know that from his career that uh, as a mayor in the city, where that um, major Chinese society stayed there and made great contributions, and also the Chinese society population showed that uh, the kindness and openness and inclusiveness uh, to the local government and the local people have very well coordinated and merged with the local culture, local economy. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, I think, uh, the basis. Uh, what uh, he is willing that uh, to uh, come back to China to see something more or something new. What happened in the past uh, 20 years or 10 years in order to get uh, a clear picture that uh, how advanced that China has been made. We, because the world is always say that China's modernization is unique, has made great progress, but uh, he should learn something by his own eyes. Even the, the, we know that the American newspaper media had many negative points uh, uh, reported about China. But it's the best way for the politicians to come to China to see what the facts, what the real problem. They mm-hmm. can learn it from what they can talk with the provincial leaders. I think that as uh, other politicians who came to China, they said, you should come to the old to see what's really happened, what the people say. So I think he will uh, get a better and a clear uh, picture about the China. He will be uh, having more that confidence to cooperate closely with Chinese partners. Mm, okay. So considering the status quo of the U.S.-China relations right now, what do you think is the role that 
regional governments or even city governments of the two sides can really play in terms of helping stabilize the ties between the two sides? I think two two ways of the, or two roles that they can play. First, they can play as a bridge. Second, they can play as a stabilizer. The bridge is important for both sides to, to be connected. In order to know each other, they should be connected. Who are the bridges, the politicians who knows China much better? They can play really very well, like ambassador, like diplomats. But the bridge is so important for mutual communications and mutual understanding. Because without mutual communications and understandings, that there's nothing happened. So this is a very important bridge. The secondary role is that the stabilizer because any problem could happen, any conflicts or these differences in opinions in some economic issues or political issues. But the stabilizer is so important that the stabilizing all the situation that under control in order to get a better solution. So for both sides, I think especially we are looking forward that the, uh, the governor's visit will really play a very positive role in the future uh, to solve the relations or even tensions between Beijing and Washington. Mm. But the stabilizer is becoming more important for the future. Okay. So if we go back to our discussion on the climate issues, I mean, you know better than I do, Mr. Liu, China is now arguably a global leader when we talk about green development or uh, green power in terms of both uh, technological advance uh, or, or industrial capacity. Uh, now, if we take a look at, uh, really take a look at the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States of America, there is a clear intention, so to speak, uh, over there to 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 be able to compete with China in green industries uh, by rolling out uh, industrial subsidies, etc., etc. So, do you think the current environment allows for exchange and flow of green technologies between, say, uh, Chinese regions and California? Briefly. Yes, I should say that the, the cooperation in the climate change or the discussions between two governments is a must. Is not an uh, alternative, whether it could be possible to do it or not. It must be done in the right way. So I should say that uh, the green uh, technology or new technology for for the carbon reduction should be coordinated and uh, cooperated together. I think that we have many possibilities because China and the United States are both the largest economies. From both sides, we have really problems and challenges for the carbon uh, emission. Uh, America is uh, mm. the largest uh, carbon emission uh, country, so they should do something in a real reality to, to reduce the uh, emission. But the China can help them and we can cooperate together in order to get a, a better result. Of course, uh, that will have some negative impact on the manufacturing, on the industrial output, but we should not coordinate mm -hmm. make, uh, uh, great uh, contradiction. So in this way that the visitor will try to find a way to narrow our uh, differences in order to get a better mutual understanding. Mm. Thank you very much. That was uh, Mr. Liu Zhiqing, Senior Fellow with the Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies, Renmin University of China. You are listening to World Today. Stay tuned. Hello, my name is Alessandro Golombievski Teixeira. I'm a professor of public policy and management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of the world today. In my opinion, the world today is one of the best China radio programs. In the world today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in the world. So please, come to join us. You are listening to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has announced that he will visit China in early November. Albanese will meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping and Premier Li Qiang here in Beijing and then attend the China International Import Expo in Shanghai. Albanese will be the first Australian Prime Minister to come to China in some seven years. 
Now, the exact timing of his trip was confirmed a day after China agreed to review its tariffs against Australian wine. China's foreign ministry said on Monday that a stable Australia-China relationship is in the fundamental interests of the two sides. So, joining us now on the line is Professor Joseph Siracusa, Dean of Global Futures with Curtin University in Australia. Welcome back. Thank you. So, Professor, what do you make of this latest round of development between Australia and China? I mean, diplomatically speaking, are they in the interests of the both sides? Absolutely. It's a it's a very healthy thing when two、um, two nation states who have been quarreling for some time about some important things, some not so important things,、uh, restore relations. And、uh, I think this is a a great opportunity. I've been in Australia 50 years. I remember when Gough Whitlam visited、um, China, not with the permission, by the way, of Richard Nixon. But he,、uh, <laughs> Australia's got its、uh, its own independent streak, and、uh, I think、uh, Australia worries a great deal about、uh, being caught between Beijing and and Washington, and likes to,、um, well, let's put it this way, to keep its options open. Hmm. So, in addition to Albanese's China visit in early November, as well as this、uh, wine issue, another recent development is that Albanese's government has recently decided,、uh, after a particular investigation, not to cancel a Chinese company's 99-year lease of the Darwin port in northern Australia, despite the so-called U.S. concern about this Chinese lease. That this kind of、uh, saying by the U.S. that oh it could potentially house some Chinese spies, etc., etc. So, do you think the Australian government under Albanese has made a reasonable or rational decision here? I think they made a very reasonable, prudent business decision. There was never any reason to cancel the lease or or the arrangement.、Uh, it was an American overreaction. Previous government was.、Um, Very sensitive to what the Americans wanted to do. I mean, a, a lot of Australian politicians are primed to think that way. But、uh, and I think even Albanese's party might have had some objections. But this idea that you can't engage in a major business venture because someone may、uh, be spying on somebody—I mean, that's absurd. It's a—it's against common sense. It's against business practice. And so he's decided to overlook it. And I—I I think that's a very good development.、Uh, No one's going to be spying there. I don't think it's that kind of a deal. But、uh, you know,、uh, every uh, uh, diplomatic relationship has、uh, give and take, and I think it was、uh, not a concession, but it was a recognition that there was nothing there.、Mm, and maybe also a recognition that Chinese investors are bringing some new changes positively to this particular port. Yeah, I, I think they are.、Uh, look.、Uh, To paraphrase John Kennedy many years ago, we live in a dangerous and uncertain world. And if there's a chance to make it less dangerous and less uncertain, then I think it's the role of diplomacy, which is the major major moderating、uh, institution between the powers. I think it's it's very important. I know that China, like Russia and a lot of other nations, are thinking more along the lines of a multipolar world. And I think it's important for Australia to.、Uh, To move out in a number of these directions, not everything has to be part of the the American alliance.、Uh, I mean, Australia is constrained in that sense because it has a small military and it's very dependent on assurance from the United States. Assurance against what I never quite understood.、Uh, Australians、uh, they frighten easy easily, and on the other hand,、uh, it doesn't take much to、uh, keep、mm. them calm. I, I've said to my Chinese friends over the years that if the Chinese government offered Australia Um, a free trade treaty and a non-aggression pact—they'd、uh, probably give up、uh, Washington <laughs> in a week. Well, so exactly、uh, related to this last point that you have just made. I mean, it's pretty interesting to note here that Prime Minister Albanese actually announced his exact timing for his visit to China. Hours before he departed for the United States to meet with President Joe Biden,、uh, and he will talk about the the AUKUS、uh, deal or arrangement with Biden during this tour, and、uh, most presumably, I guess,、um, in in mid November, 
during the APEC summit to be held in the, the city of San Francisco, Albanese will go back to America and probably he will hold another bilateral talk with Biden as well, presumably. So, do you think this is a sign that Australia? Is going back to its traditional or old trajectory, in which、um, Canberra relies on Washington for security and on on China for trade. I think、uh, the Prime Minister's decision to announce his trip to China before he took off to the United States was a bit of a coincidence. We've known for months now that he planned a trip to China. He was looking for suitable dates. Yeah.、Uh, President Xi was looking for suitable dates, so they had to find something in common. And of course, uh, uh, in Washington, it isn't just going to be the the AUKUS discussion. I, I know a lot of people think AUKUS is a big deal. I don't. It's、uh, something that's a thirty-year project that's going to cost three hundred and sixty-eight billion dollars, and I would bet, I, I I would bet my last penny, that Australia is not going to follow through with that. They're going to find better ways to spend their money. They're not going to spend all that money on eight nuclear-powered submarines. Anyway,、um, I think the discussion in Washington is more than that. The United States is in a、uh, very dangerous position in the Middle East right now. It's engaged in a Proxy war with、uh, with Iran. If、um, there's a problem in Israel with、uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon or in Syria and other places,、uh, America will use its aircraft carrier to protect、um, Israel. And, and I think it's、uh, because the Australian intelligence and many of its militaries、uh, military are interoperable with the American army armed forces. I, I think、uh, the main discussion is going to be about the Middle East, how to break the deadlock in Gaza, and what they can do about it, and what they expect Australia to do about it. Australia is a small to middle power; it's very rich, as a matter of fact, and it can do a lot of good things. But Australians do not forget that their three main exports is iron ore, coal, and、mm. students from China. Australia is very dependent on the economic relationship with China for its prosperity, and China needs Australia for its prosperity. And frankly,、uh, I think、uh, foreign economic relations are far more important than chasing false security uh, re- uh, relations. Hmm. So, by the way, Professor, in your observation of the situation, including, say, the internal politics in your country in Australia, I mean. Is there room for、um, hostility to return between Australia and Australia and China in the foreseeable future? No, not with this government.、Uh, the um, uh, the the previous government took an anti-Chinese view, including including including、uh, uh, accusing China of、uh, spreading the,、uh, uh, the 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 flu or the the pandemic around. And it was doing it mainly for. Domestic reasons. This particular Labour government, which started life off as it's a socialist party, really that's what it always has been,、um, has、um, is is not interested in that kind of thing. I mean,、uh, there, there's there's no sense preparing for war with a a superpower now like China. I mean, what can Australia do? I mean, Australia would like to play the game. It would like to be taken seriously. And if Australia looks very closely. And what China has to say about the world—that it treats、uh, everybody as an individual power and with respect and, and and all the rest of it—I mean, Australia's got a lot to learn. It's got a lot to gain by learning a little more about how Chinese foreign policy works. Right now in Washington, they're preparing two wars for the future: one with China and one with Russia. And I can't think of、uh, two exercises that are more futile than those because neither one of those things is going to happen. Happen. And Australia is going to have to figure that out themselves. Hmm. Thank you very much. As always, that was Professor Joseph Syracuse, Dean of Global Futures with Curtin University in Australia. More to come. Second aid convoy has entered the Gaza Strip as Israel intensifies its bombardments of the territory. You are listening to World Today. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to World Today. I'm Ding Hanin Beijing. 
A second humanitarian convoy has crossed from Egypt into Gaza as Israel continues its bombardment of the besieged territory. A total of 17 trucks entered Gaza on Sunday, a day after the first convoy comprising 20 trucks carried medical aid, food, and water into the region. The strip has been under Israeli bombing since October the 7th in the wake of the deadly Hamas attacks. Aid agencies are calling on the delivery of supplies to remain consistent, saying it is currently, quote-unquote, only a drop in the ocean. So joining us now on the line is Dr. Wang Jing, Associate Professor and Middle East expert with Northwest University in Xi'an, China. Welcome back. My pleasure. So in your observation of the situation on the ground, what do you think is the current bottleneck, the main current bottleneck that is uh, reining in the supply of humanitarian aid into the Gaza Strip? Okay, I think there were several major obstacles uh, for the more efficient and uh, uh, efficient supplies of humanitarian goods to Gaza Strip. Because uh, we have to know, on the one hand, this uh, when we're talking about uh, the Gaza humanitarian crisis, it means a very large number of the the the, the, the humanitarian uh, crisis that uh, that harassed the local Gaza people because there were about one or two million uh, Gaza people who needed, highly needed the very necessities and the supplies of humanitarian assistance from international society. So for any uh, international organization or any country, it is not very easy to gather such a big amount of the uh, supplies and goods uh, for humanitarian assistance within a very short term. Uh, especially, we have to know that uh, connecting the Gaza Strip with Israel, or, I'm sorry, with, with Egypt, Yeah. was the Sinai Peninsula. While the Sinai Peninsula, especially the northern part of the Sinai Peninsula, mm-hmm. uh, was the infrastructure there was not so good, and um, it, it, it will take quite a long time for the, uh, for the supply lines to be established. It will, it will take time. And meanwhile, we cannot forget the role of, uh, of Israel, because Israel uh, hopes to monitor the process of uh, humanitarian uh, supplies, and as well as hope to monitor the very specific goods that would be transferred into the Gaza Strip because it's really fear that some of the goods, uh, for example, sugar, from perspective of Israel, that the sugar could be uh, used to, uh, to, 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 uh, to use into the, the rockets that, mm. uh, from Gaza Strip to, to the Israeli territory. So actually there were a lot of other obstacles, for example, uh, how, the, how the governments of different countries be coordinated and how to identify who are highly needed Of the of the humanitarian goods, who are maybe they are, they they could um, they could meet the demands themselves. So actually, there were a lot of obstacles. So I think it will take time, and with the international societies uh, more concentration, more efforts uh, going into Gaza Strip, that um, everything will be better. But it will take time and take efforts. Mm. So Israel's military has actually pledged to intensify its bombardment of the Gaza Strip in the next stage of the war. Does this shed any light on whether or or, or when uh, the Israeli military will launch a ground military operation against the Gaza? Uh, we we don't know, frankly. It's mm. very hard to say. Nobody knows actually. Uh, uh, everybody actually realizes that uh, Israel will will launch the the, the ground attack at any time soon in the future. But nobody know, knows what exactly the time will be. Um, so, um, so I think on the one hand we know that under the very large pressure from home, especially a lot of people are dissatisfied. A lot of people they hope that uh, the government to, to take some measures to revenge the the attack from Hamas the early uh, the, the, the the very early of this month. So actually, Israel has to do something. So the government, the military forces, they have already made their preparation. They have already finished their deployment around Gaza Strip. So they will surely will uh, start their military operations. But again, on the other hand, international pressure uh, from international society all hope to suspend this, uh, the possible military operations from Israel into, into Gaza. 
And also, Israel also needs time to gather the intelligence and information about the Gaza Strip, given that Israel has already withdrawn from Gaza Strip completely after two, uh, uh, after 2005. Mm. So actually, it will take a lot of time yeah. for Israel to gather, regather the information, the very latest development information in Gaza, where the Hamas militias are deployed, and where, where should become the major uh, breakthrough point for Israeli operation forces. So actually, it will take a lot of time. But and meanwhile, we cannot forget that it might be spilled over into the other parts of the region. Uh, for example, especially in the northern part of Israel, we, we have already witnessed a very escalating uh, exchange yes. of fire between Israel and Hezbollah from South Lebanon. So that, that, might, be, that might become a very another factor. So it will take time, but it will uh, it will definitely happen in the future. I mean, the, the Israeli military operations against the Gaza in the future. Mm. Uh, in the meantime, uh, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says that the United States will be uh, sending more military assets to the Middle East to help bolster regional deterrence efforts. Do you think there is any sign that the United States will do more to try to rein in the uh, let's say, ring in the retaliatory behavior of Israel? Uh, sure, because on the one hand, Israel and the United States, the, the, their relations are uh, uh, so close, and they describe their relations as so-called the unbroken ally. Unbroken, uh, unbroken ally. So actually, they, they maybe they, they hadn't signed any very formal uh, alliance treaty, but actually uh, their, their close uh, ties are so are so strong that no other factors could challenge it. So actually, after this very break of the crisis, I mean, Israeli uh, Palestinians in Gaza, they, they, this this war erupted. Uh, the United States reacted very fast and also sent their fleet to the to the to the co- to the coast uh, to 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 the to seas around Israel. And, and meanwhile, they also sent a lot of uh, military assistance goods. To, uh, to 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 Israeli forces to support maybe possible operations from Israeli forces into Gaza. So this works. Uh, finally, they'll do it. But then we cannot forget that in the United States also maybe fear the very possible military operations from Israel against the Gaza might uh, prevent a very possible United States mid- Middle Eastern strategy, especially yeah. the very efforts to bring Israel and other Arab states together. Mm. So I think United States has to reconsider and to balance it. Mm. So China's special envoy to the Middle East, Mr. Jai Jun, has said that China is willing to do, quote unquote, whatever is conducive to promote dialogue, secure a ceasefire or restore peace. Realistically speaking, Dr. Wan, what do you think China can do at the moment? I think China can do a lot uh, uh, as China's uh, statement made by our foreign ministry that China is willing to do, on the one hand, to facilitate the ceasefire uh, through mediation and through connection with different regional countries, especially, uh, for example, with Israel, with Pakistan, and uh, also with uh, with Saudi Arabia, with Egypt, and other with Iran, other regional countries uh, who might have a voice uh, over this issue. So actually, China is hope hopes to do to do the do our efforts to to facilitate the peace uh, ceasefire as soon as possible. And on the other hand, China has already stressed on many occasions that the two state solution should continue to be the very uh, foundation uh, foundation for the future peace. I mean, lasting and just the peace between Israel and the Palestinians in the future. So actually, I think it will maybe it will take time. It will take time for Israelis uh, and Palestinians. Their escalation of crisis will take time. But it will last uh, maybe longer. But China's efforts uh, would be noticed, and China's voice would be heard, and China's core mm-hmm. for the international society, half the local people, will be respected. Mm-hmm. And also, China has already uh, offered some humanitarian uh, assistance to the to the local people in Gaza Strip. So, so I think China will continue to play a very important role in the future to help the both sides to reach peace as soon as possible. Thank you very much. That was Dr. Wang Jing joining us from Northwest University in Xi'an, China. You are listening to World Today. We'll be back. China has criticized the United States for imposing export restrictions on artificial intelligence-related semiconductor shipments to China. 
The Chinese Ministry of Commerce has called on the U.S. to revoke these export controls measures immediately. The response comes as the Biden administration intensifies its efforts to prevent advanced chips from reaching China, including sales restrictions on processors specifically designed for the Chinese market. The latest restrictions are built upon prior limitations. Shares of major U.S. chip giants like Nvidia fell sharply after the United States intensified its control on chip exports. Now, for more, my colleague Zhao Yang spoke with Ina Tangen, senior fellow with the Taihe Institute. So, Ina, the recently reviewed blacklist now includes Nvidia's AI chips, with China contributing a significant 25% share of the company's data center chip sales revenue. The list also covers other companies. So, what potential consequences might this have on the U.S. chip enterprises? Well, they're extremely far-reaching.、Um, you're talking about、uh, ASML、uh, in the Netherlands and Vi- Nvidia, which is a U.S. company,、uh, and the rest of them.、Um, they're going to lose、uh, access to the Chinese market. Chinese market is the largest chip market in the world、uh, because of China's position in the global supply chain. That is not going to change.、Uh, simply, what you're going to have is、uh, Chinese companies developing their own technology, and as I said, this is going to be disastrous for these companies. Because remember, without sales, no profits. Without profits, there's no reinvestment. The U.S. will fall to its、uh, competitiveness, while China will continue to sell uh, products uh, with chips in them, and they will be garnering more money. They won't be paying U.S. companies or European companies. They'll be paying their own companies, giving them the、uh, boost in terms of profits and research and development. And clearly, the U.S. is intensifying its technological rivalry with China, and the American Semiconductor Industry Association expressed concern. And they say, "quote unquote," those new measures are excessively extensive, and、uh, it poses a risk to the U.S. semiconductor industry without enhancing national security, as they might、uh, prompt international clients to see other options. So, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I agree. I mean, the Biden administration is great on tactics, but there is no end game in sight.、Uh, this idea that if the U.S. withholds technology from China, that China stops developing. Has already been proven to be false. We've seen that、uh, with Huawei and their development of their own uh, proprietary uh, uh, chip um, methodology. Uh, you're also within、uh, China. You're now seeing new approaches、uh, that are different from the extreme X-ray lithography that is sold by ASML.、Uh, they're using、um, you know, very, very precise.、Um, Uh, basically, uh, uh, bombardment using uh, atoms uh, to create channels、uh, that can then、uh, allow it be used for、uh, creating these transistors. If they're successful, it will be a leap ahead of what ASML is able to、uh, offer, and would put China in the lead position. Mm. And analysts say the U.S. measures to limit the exports of the、uh, advanced AI chips to China give Huawei a chance to fill the、uh, Nvidia's void in China. So, how do you look at that? Well, they're absolutely right. I mean, you know, Ch- China doesn't have a choice. You know, they, I, I always laugh when I read the、uh, international newspapers and say China trying to circumvent、uh, U.S. technology. Well. <laughs> If you say you can't have it, well, the only way, the thing you can do is try to develop your own, and that's exactly what's happening.、Uh, the U.S. chip industry, or the U.S. government—I shouldn't say the chip industry because they're not in favor of it—the U.S. government is <laughs> taking the road to avoid their fate, which is going to lead them more quickly to it. And by that, I mean、uh, they are forcing more money、uh, into. Huawei and other Chinese companies, because they have to come up with solutions, because they have buyers where in China, and outside of China, you have you know three quarters of the world showed up for the Belt and Road、uh, Initiative Forum, 
Uh, 150 countries were represented. Uh, that gives you an idea of what uh, China's market is going to continue to be.、Uh, that's three quarters of the world. And meanwhile, media reports also says that、uh, a U.S. House panel asked、uh, Sequoia Capital to provide detailed information about its investments into the AI and other high-tech sectors in China. So, tell us more about this move. What has prompted the U.S. to do so? Well, I mean, this this is the kind of same、uh, Joe McCarthy esque、um, uh, hysteria that's being applied by the government side to the economic side. Sequoia Capital is one of the leading uh, capital uh, companies out there. They invest in all sorts of technologies.、Uh, they've you know have a sterling record. Uh, not always in terms of humanitarian, but in terms of economics,、um, by applying pressure to them and saying that we're not going to allow you to do anything with China, what they're simply doing is limiting the ability of American capital to participate in the growth of Asian markets.、Um, I don't know how else to put this, but if you're looking at these funds that put money into Sequoia. Uh, you you have to be concerned because literally the U.S. government is going to say, well, we're going to cut you off from the largest growing market in the world, and、uh, we're doing that for political reasons.、Mm-hmm. And this is not going to work well、uh, long term for the U.S.、Uh, finance industry and the people.、Mm-hmm. So, how will the U.S. move and its technological rivalry with China hinder the technological innovation and development for itself and for the world? And what is China's attitude or approach on the AI development? Well, yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, the U.S. is basically,、um, you know, damaging itself.、Uh, we've we've already talked about that. China is doing something very different.、Uh, you'll notice during the Belt and Road、uh, Initiative Forum and prior to that, the U.S. I mean, the Chinese have been sharing technology and、mm-hmm. talking about joint development. This is very, very different from the U.S.、Uh, model, which says, you know, it's all owned by private companies, even though it's supported by. Public U.S. tax dollar <laughs>、uh, subsidies,、um, and they say, "Oh, it belongs to us, and you got to pay us." You saw that during uh, the uh,、um, the uh, crisis with the, the pandemic.、Uh, U.S. and European companies demanded that they get paid. They were not willing to share. They didn't want to set up factories in other places. Whereas China cooperated with twenty different countries to set up factories and to share the kind of technology that was necessary to、uh, deal with this pandemic. And China's doubling down. On that, they made it very clear that、um, technology is something that should belong to everybody, and that you shouldn't have a technological、uh, haves versus the rest of the world have-nots.、Um, very, very important if you want to create a harmonious world、uh, where people are invested in the entire system as opposed to being subservient to it. My colleague Zhao Yang talking with Ina Tengen, senior fellow with the Taihe Institute. You are listening to World Today. Stay tuned. Hello, I am Dr. Digby James Ren, a political analyst and international relations scholar specializing in China area studies. World Today offers unmatched in-depth perspectives on China's politics, economics, business, technology, and society. World Today's team of reporters and contributors provides valuable information from all of the world's major economies. I hope you can join me on World Today for the very best insights and news from China on China and help to build a better understanding of China's role in the world today. You're listening to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Argentina is headed for a runoff vote between Economic Minister Sergio Massa and far-right libertarian Javier Milei in the country's presidential race. Massa has led Milei by about 36.6 percent to 30 percent in the first round. The runoff election is due to be held next month, with the winner to take office in early December. Malay had led Massa in the earlier polls due to public discontent over economic decline and runaway prices. So joining us now on the line is Dr. Jiang Shixue, distinguished professor with the College of International Relations, Sichuan International Studies University. Thank you very much for joining us. Good, thank you. So Malay has promised to cut public spending in a very dramatic manner and to undertake some radical economic reform, like abolishing the central bank of the country and also say switching the Argentina 
peso, uh, the currency of the country, to the U.S. dollar.、Uh, why do you think,、um, unlike what the polls suggested earlier, he didn't win the first round? Well,、uh, opinion polls uh, often uh, contradict uh, with the final result.、Uh, we can、uh, witness this kind of、uh, contrast in the U.S. presidential a few years ago and in some other places. And secondly, I would I would like to point out that、uh, in Argentina, well, most people do not like Milei's、uh, radical. Uh, radical policies.、Uh, well, for me, I would say his、uh, his views on the economy, on the society, are really too radical. So people in Argentina just uh, cannot uh, agree with him.、Mm-hmm. So, in other words, as an outside observer yourself, you don't think the kind of、uh, economic or、uh, social policies as well. That Malay represents or Malay advocates is what is needed by Argentina right now.、Uh, regarding the economic policies, well, he suggests that uh, uh, Argentina should adopt、uh, the so-called dollarization of the currency.、Mm. Uh, it should、uh, abandon peso. Instead, it will use the U.S. dollar. Well, this kind of dollarization was a topic twenty、uh, years ago, at the time when Argentina was、uh, suffering from a very severe financial crisis. Well, Argentina is not a small economy. Small economy for small economy, it is possible that、uh, dollarization might work, but for a large economy like、uh, Argentina's, I don't think、uh, dollarization will work. And、uh, well, no country in the world can can work with the abolishing、uh, central bank. Yeah. Well, the central bank should play a very important role. So how can you、uh, abolish the central bank?、Uh, so I don't think that his policies are clever enough to deal with economic uh, problems、mm. facing Argentina today. Okay, so by the way, Mr. Malai has been described by many people as a kind of Argentina or Argentinian mashup of Donald Trump, Jair Bolsonaro, as well as Boris Johnson. What is your take on this? And what do you think his、uh, rise in the political sphere in such a very short period of time? I guess in some two years,、uh, tells us about the politics in in this country today. You know, in every country,、uh, we can we can divide the people、uh, into uh, three uh, categories: the left, the right, and the, in the middle.、Uh, in the past、uh, several years,、uh, people in China and also in other parts of、uh, other parts of the world have paid much attention to the rise of the left.、Uh, we often say it's called a pink tide. So、uh, we do not uh, pay uh, enough attention to the right-wing forces. As a matter of fact, as in as in Europe,、uh, the right-wing force、yeah. in Latin America is quite strong. Also, at the same time, when the left is on the right,、uh, because Argentina has been suffering from、uh, several kinds of、uh, crises, particularly in the economic field. So voters in Argentina just wish that a miracle will happen if they can choose a special person uh, uh, like Milay. But well, most of the people in Argentina have common sense, so they believe that uh, uh, strange、uh, policies do not work. Well, hopefully,、uh, in the next、uh, round of election. Voters in Argentina、uh, will choose the best、uh, candidate.、Hmm. So, exactly regarding who is likely to win the runoff、uh, next month, I guess、um, this question will probably come down to who is likely to gain more of the votes that in the first round 
went to、uh, Mr. Patricia Bullrich. This, when we talk about this person, he is a conservative former security minister, and during the first round, he came in. Uh, in in the in the third place was over twenty three percent of the vote this time. So, what is your expectation on this question? Well, it's really、uh, hard to predict who will win.、Uh, always, we might、uh, see some some kind of black swans.、Uh, if you really want me to say who will win,、uh, if I can say probably, probably. Well,、uh, Massa uh, might uh, beat uh, Milay,、uh, but that's my personal guess. Hopefully,、uh, the outcome will will be the same as my prediction. You know, now they're making prediction for presidential election for any country is not easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can only、um, guess, but it's only a wild guess, that's for sure. So, if we take a look at the situation or the scenario beyond Argentina, for example, in your understanding, in your observation, what kind of、um, ramifications、uh, do you think、um, the result of this particular presidential race in Argentina this time? Uh, will generate for Latin America. I think、uh, we need to point out that on one hand,、uh, it is true that、uh, the left-wing、uh, force in America has been on the rise. Yeah. But at the same time, we need to pay attention to the、uh, rise of the right-wing force. So、uh, nowadays, we can see that there are both left-wing force and right-wing force compete. For power, for influence in the landscape、uh, of the region.、Uh, well, I don't know really. In the end of the day, which political force will beat the other? But、uh, in America, I hope no matter which political force can beat the other, political stability should be the、uh, top priority. So hopefully, in the process of competition,、uh, political stability will not be damaged. So、mm. political stability should be maintained, so as to implement、uh, the right policies、uh, for economic development for any country like Argentina, Venezuela, Brazil, or any other countries. Mm. Thank you very much for putting this question into perspective. That was Dr. Jiang Shixue, distinguished professor with the College of International Relations, Sichuan International Studies University. That's all the time for this edition of World Today. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. And for more, you can follow us on Twitter or now known as X at CGTM Radio. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.